coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. Just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe, so there are spiritual laws that govern our relationship with God. Just because you don't know those laws or don't believe those laws or don't follow the laws, that's not relevant to whether they exist or not, just like a physical law. What do evangelicals believe about Bible prophecy? And is prophecy something we should take seriously? Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we're talking with Joel Rosenberg about to answer that very question. Joel, great to see you. I, you're not in Jerusalem today. You're here in the U.S., but I'm excited to get into this topic with you. Thank you. Great to be with you, Carl. Yeah, from Washington, D.C. Uh, I've been here meeting with um, Israeli and Arab ambassadors and other leaders here in Washington, and then I'll be traveling with my wife to meet various Joshua Fund uh, friends, allies, staff members, sure. board members, financial partners over the course of the summer. And uh, just glad to be back in the States. We call it getting off the island uh, for a bit <laughs> in Israel. But yes, this is a very important topic. Sure the it issue is. Of Bible prophecy. And, and I find that there's an enormous amount of interest. It, it, it ebbs and flows. There are seasons where people are really interested and there's other seasons that other things take precedence. Mm -hmm. I think with COVID, with this massive war in Europe, with the Abraham Accords and Israel making peace with their neighbors and yet Iran and Russia building this alliance, there are reasons why I think there's more interest. But unfortunately, far too few pastors teach on it, preach on yeah. it. So. I'm glad that we're dealing with it on this podcast. Yeah. And again, I'm so glad that you're in D.C. And again, we're going to do future podcasts on some of the relationships, again, that you're building in the Middle East. You just got back from a delegation to another Middle Eastern country, another Abraham Accords country. And we want right. our listeners to hear that. We've just recently done some of those discussions. But we want to get back to one of the things that really does form part of the core of your ministry and the Joshua Fund, which is the idea of Bible prophecy and its relevance today. First of all, we've got to ask, what is the subject that Bible prophecy deals with? It's eschatology, right? And what is eschatology? Well, eschatology is the study of end times things. Every monotheistic faith has an eschatology. Jews certainly have a view that in the end of days from the Jewish scriptures, from the Hebrew scriptures, that the Messiah will come that there'll be judgments of the believers and the unbelievers, that there will be an afterlife, that there will be rewards for those who have followed the Lord and punishments for those who have not. That's not surprising. Uh, in mm -hmm. fact, there will also be judgments of specific countries of the Bible, various Bible prophets foretold. So that's Jewish eschatology. Mm -hmm. Muslims have an eschatology. We talked that, about that a little bit mm -hmm. on our podcast about what do Muslims believe about Jesus. For example, mm -hmm. Muslims do believe Jesus is coming back. So Muslims believe that Jesus was a real historic figure. They regard him very highly as a prophet, and mm -hmm. arguably more highly than Muhammad, though obviously Muhammad is their center point of their focus. They believe Jesus is coming back, but they don't believe that Jesus is coming back in the end of days as the king, right. but as the deputy, uh, the crown right. prince, as it were. Mm -hmm. So that's very different from Christian or Messianic. Sure eschatology, where we believe, okay, the Messiah is coming, but he is coming back again. But it's specifically Jesus, mm -hmm. Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, mm -hmm. that he died on the cross, 
that he rose again, that he is coming back, and he's coming back to set up this messianic kingdom. The Messiah, Mashiach in Hebrew, mm-hmm. it really does mean anointed one, which means king. And so Jews expect the Messiah to come. They just don't believe it mostly. Most Jews don't believe it's Jesus. So they joke, well, when the Messiah comes, we'll ask him, have you been here before? And, uh, you know, and of course, the New Testament is clear that, yes, he has been here before and he will set up a kingdom. That's the short version. But right. judgment and rewards and afterlife for good and for evil, you know, for sure. a good afterlife for believers and a punishment forever for unbelievers. That is part of all of our monotheistic eschatologies. Mm-hmm. The key is looking at what does the Bible actually teach? This goes back to maybe our first podcast, certainly one of the first, what is an evangelical? And right. evangelicals, the first principle is the Bible is our highest authority for what's true. So right. there may be a lot of interesting writings that rabbis or even pastors and church fathers over the years have written. Mm-hmm. The question is, what does the Bible actually teach from Genesis in which it really does deal with the end times. The, the phrase end of days is in the book of Genesis, which is yeah. the first book. And of course, it brings us to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, which is entirely about eschatology or almost entirely. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's the study of end times things, which more people have curiosity about than uh, I think a lot of Christian pastors and scholars will admit. If you look even at, sure. at major motion pictures, what are we dealing with when we're dealing with blockbuster Marvel movies? Yeah. We're talking about cosmic clashes of good and evil in the Very end of days point. often. I mean, this mm-hmm. is language that's literally in a lot of the Marvel and DC movies, not to mention War of the Worlds or the Tolkien uh, Lord of the Rings series, yeah. the return of the king, right? And the establishment of the kingdom. I, you know, this is a big thing in the culture not just in theology. Yeah. Well, we're going to unpack, I'm sure, a lot of that because, you know, as you said, I mean, this is something that should captivate our hearts and minds simply because it pertains to every one of us. You know, when we talk about something that's global, literally every human being would be impacted by what we believe about the end times in eschatology. So as you mentioned, evangelicals primarily get our theology and our authority from the Bible. So Bible prophecy, that's a whole subject that we want to talk about today. What in general do evangelicals believe about Bible prophecy? And honestly, in today's context, Joel, is it a core issue of what we should believe? Yeah, the stakes are enormously high because if the Bible is true, you and I certainly believe it is true. Many of our listeners do, but not all of our listeners. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're grateful that there are those who are listening to us that don't agree with us on anything or in some things, and and we welcome you, right? Whether you're Jewish or you're Muslim or agnostic or atheist or Christian, but you're not quite sure exactly what you believe about these things or whatever, Mm -hmm. welcome. I just want to say that because we're glad that people are listening and trying to understand what does the Bible teach about these things. But look, the critical issue is that if the Bible is right, Mm -hmm. if Jesus really is the Messiah and he is God— and what he taught and what the apostles taught is true, then it means that great and terrible, great meaning huge, cataclysmic judgment is coming on the earth Mm. to every nation, including the United States, including Israel, including every nation, every nation, but also that the good news that 
we can be forgiven, that even if we die in this lifetime or during the judgments, that we can go to heaven, that we can spend eternity with God in joy and in fellowship with other true followers of the Lord, rather than in suffering and burning judgment, which not only does Christian eschatology teach, but so does Jewish eschatology and Muslim eschatology, right? So every monotheistic religion believes that there is suffering forever and ever and ever with no way Mm. of escape to those who disbelieve, to those who reject the true teaching, which brings us to the central question, what is the true teaching? What's true about God and about how to know him and how to be forgiven by him, how to be adopted into his family and spend eternity with him, whether these are our last days, like just our last days, like, okay, I'm 55, but maybe I don't make it to 56. So (laughs) these would be my last days. But even Mm -hmm. if I make it to 85 or 105, in the grand scheme of the of eternity, these next you know thirty, forty, fifty years, not that long. So right. these are our our last days for sure. Whether it's the world's last days, history's last days, I believe it is, and I can explain why. Yeah. But either way, we're going into eternity. And I tell you, know, I just had this conversation with an Israeli friend the other day, yeah. uh, just before I left Israel. We were having dinner, and well, it was several of us, a little dinner party. And this one woman is, she's an Israeli, she's Jewish. She's trying to decide if she's an atheist or agnostic. Okay. Uh, but she was fascinated and she was curious, you know, Joel, you're an evangelical and you write and just, she had a, a ton of questions. So great. Let's have that conversation. But again, I said, listen, let's say you're an atheist. Let's say you're an agnostic. You're not sure. But this is why it's important to figure this out, to study mm-hmm. these issues. Now, is Jesus who he says he is? He claims to be the Messiah. His disciples said he was the Messiah. He agreed with them. Is that true? Because if it isn't true, okay, move on with your life. But if it's true, then there are consequences. I said, you know, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You don't even believe God exists. But let's pretend that you believe in gravity and I don't. (laughs) Now, let's pretend I'm, you know, that we're in a 12-story building and I open up the window and I start to climb out and you're like, Joel, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? I'm just going to jump out. Wow, wait, wait, why? What are you, are you insane? I said, no, but you believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. Yeah. So that's fine. I'm not criticizing you because you believe in gravity. I mean, God, you know, God bless you. I don't know where to say it. But, you know, <laughs> bless you. You know, like, that's fine. I don't have any problem that you believe it. I don't believe it. I'm mm. not going to suffer by jumping out of this window. I don't believe gravity exists. And you're like, yeah. dude, seriously, <laughs> like just because you don't believe in gravity doesn't, that's not going to cushion your fall. Right. Gravity is an immutable law on earth and not believing it won't help you. You're going to smash and shatter on the ground, on the pavement. Wouldn't it be better to spend a little time testing gravity in some less existentially significant ways than jumping out of the window. Like, let's take a pencil. Let's do some experiments. Let's study it first. Exactly, exactly. Go full Newton. So I said, this is my point that a really interesting, wonderful Christian, you and I, of course, knew him, uh, Bill Bright, uh, who founded the ministry Campus Crusade for Christ. He once famously said, just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe, Mm -hmm. So there are spiritual laws that govern our relationship with God. Just because you don't know those laws or don't believe those laws or don't follow the laws, that's not relevant to whether they exist or not, just like a physical law. 
you know, so the jumping into eternity without having figured out if Jesus is telling the truth and whether you're going to follow that or reject that, that is eternally significant because if, if Jesus is true, if he's right, Mm -hmm. you're going to hell forever and ever and ever Mm -hmm. with no way out. Those stakes are too high. We should look at this carefully now. So this is why eschatology is important. And I know we haven't gotten yet into the nitty gritty. We're going to get into the nitty gritty. (laughs) And, you know, you can see, I mean, the caricature, though, of evangelicals as as many in the in the world would be the the sort of uh, end times prophecy. Everything is coming to an end, you know, sort of that apocalyptic. But I don't know about you, Joel. I've been in the evangelical church most of my life, and I don't hear pastors preaching on this. So what's eroded? You know, yeah. what what's that about? Well, I think there's several things going on. You're right that there is a caricature of evangelical Christianity that we're obsessed with end times and, oh, you know, hellfire and brimstone. Right. And, and there have been nuts. There remain nuts who <laughs> are either maybe accurate and correct in what they're teaching, but they're so unbalanced and they're so hyperbolic mm-hmm. and they're huffing and puffing. And you're like, dude have some decaf like, seriously, <laughs> just, just dial it down a little like have you read to the end of the book it's all going to work out but they're all kind of ah and so that spooks people yeah. right that's one thing and and, and there are many pastors that resist that react against that then of course there are lunatics they're true heretics they don't understand theology and either they're actively lying or they just don't understand it but they just are crazy and or yeah. they sound crazy and they all give, you know, eschatology a horrible name, right? And yeah. so you have a lot of wonderful pastors and Bible teachers and seminary professors and seminary and Bible college presidents who are staying away from the whole topic of eschatology yeah. because they don't want to be lumped in with the prophecy the nuts. Yeah. That's what I call the prophecy yeah. freaks. Yeah. yeah. You know, the type of people that build websites that look like they were built at Area 51 in Roswell, New Mexico. Right. Lots, they, of, lots of fire and flame on the yeah. site and all the sentences are in capital letters. What is that? 92 exclamation points at the end of it. And you're like, OK, really? Uh, we like, get it. We know you're passionate. Hey, Joel, I, I'm yeah. so excited <laughs> about this topic because, you know, you and I both agree that this is immensely practical. But we are going to get into the question. We're going to take a break now. We're going to get into the question so burning. Why aren't pastors, evangelical pastors, teaching Bible prophecy today? We're going to come back to that in just a second after the break. Our verse of the day today is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Our prayer requests for today are, number one, pray for pastors and church leaders to more fully appreciate and preach biblical prophecy to guide and instruct us. And second, pray that believers worldwide will be emboldened and strengthened to be a light to the nations. Well, Joel, we're back, and I am so anxious, uh, excited, actually, for all of our listeners to get a little bit of insight into some of the teaching that you've done on helping us understand Bible prophecy. But the thing that we have to get to really right now is, you know, the evangelical church today, you just don't hear this message. And Joel, maybe you can help us understand a little bit fuller 
why aren't pastors, Bible-believing pastors, teaching Bible prophecy today? Yeah, well, <laughs> it is a problem because you're right, most are not. Let me just say, and I'll walk you through some specifics, but let's just say a couple facts. 27% of the Bible is prophecy, 27%. In fact, a good friend and a wonderful scholar, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, wrote a, a really excellent resource book, which we should probably put a link up to. It's sure. called The End, colon, uh, A Complete Overview of Bible Prophecy and the End of Days. Wow. And one of the things I love about Hitchcock's work is that he, he really did the math. <laughs> and he found out that 28.5% of Old Testament verses are prophecy. Wow. 28.5. In the New Testament, it's 21.5. And all told, 27% Amazing. of the Bible is our prophetic verses. 27%. Mm -hmm. Now, that means one in four verses in all of the Bible are about prophecy. Now, some of those have already come true. And prophecy is, the fulfillment of prophecy is one of the great apologetics. Mm -hmm. Why do we believe the Bible is true? Because God tells us things in advance and they come true. And how could the prophet, the human person, have known that a few years or hundreds of years or a thousand years or whatever, that these things were going to happen? Moses, you know, prophesied that, the you know, the Jewish people were going to be sent into exile. Well, he, of course, rescued people out of the exile, but there were other exiles coming. Yeah. He prophesied the Messiah was going to come. You know, anyway, Ezekiel and, and Joel, my favorite prophet, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these others, they have both near-term prophecies and long-term prophecies. The near-term prophecies were things that had to happen mm -hmm. in their lifetime to prove to people, oh, that really is a prophet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so every prophet, nearly every prophet, I think every prophet, has specific prophecies that have come true in their lifetime that we can look and go, oh, wow, that really happened. Mm -hmm. That's how people knew this guy's really speaking from and for God, right? Then they had longer-term prophecies that were about the coming of the Messiah or the rebirth of Israel or Jews coming back into the land or the end of days. And, of course, those were so far away from the writings of the prophets that you couldn't know that it, they were right unless you knew they were already speaking from God because of near-term prophecies that sure. they gave. And so to not teach 27% of the Bible is a big mistake, right? Yeah. God put this stuff in there, these prophetic verses, to warn us, to guide us, to give us advanced warning and, and knowledge of events that were very important that yeah. we ought to know because he wanted to tell us and he's important and that's, you know, his view matters. So those are things. Now, why do people not teach it? But think about it, you know, Carl, it's like my youngest son has just gotten his uh, driver's permit. So this summer, <laughs> Good luck. while we're in the States, we're starting to uh, teach him to drive. But what if we decide, Lynn and I, not to teach him 27% of what he needs to know to be a good, safe driver? First of all, does that help him? No. What about the other drivers on the road, right? <laughs> or, you know, what if you got a, you know, a son or daughter that's going to medical school and you teach them 27% less of what they need to know to save a life? Sure. Who's that helping? Sure. So pastors who decide, I'm not teaching that stuff or Bible colleges or seminaries, you're handicapping the very people you are supposed to be preparing yeah. to bear much fruit and serve the Lord faithfully in this, uh, this so, society. Yeah. So even when the Bible teachers, the pastors, the professors and various others teach accurately the other parts of Scripture, they're missing 27 percent 
of what the Bible's message is. And they are. what are some of the other benefits? I can't think of any other topic or section of theology that would be as widely dismissed. Like right. we're just not doing that right. as eschatology. And you're like, like if this was 2%, look, that would still be a mistake. Paul tells us, he writes mm-hmm. to Timothy, all scripture, all yeah. 100%, is profitable. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training and righteousness. So the man or woman of God is thoroughly equipped, thoroughly equipped for all good works that God has for us. If you decide to not teach 2% or 6% (laughs) or 9%, that would be a mistake since all scripture is useful. But if you get rid of a quarter of the Bible, that's a mistake. Now, why? Why is that happening? There are four main reasons. The first is that many pastors don't teach Bible prophecy because they lack belief. They don't believe in the power of the word of God. They're like, "Eh, maybe I'm not sure if this really is a real thing. I don't know if they don't really believe it. Now, that seems to be less true of an evangelical pastor, because by definition, an evangelical takes the word of God, says it's our highest authority. Okay, so if you have a mainline Protestant uh, liberal pastor or perhaps Roman Catholic priest who they're not teaching through the whole Bible. They're teaching other, you know, portions of the Bible. Fine. But if you decide I'm not, I don't really believe in those things, then you won't teach it. Right. Mm -hmm. But evangelicals who don't teach it have an inherent contradiction. You cannot really say truthfully that you consider the word of God, your highest authority. If you unilaterally chosen to not teach 27% of it. But I don't think most evangelical pastors even think about that. So I don't think they realize often that they are being contradictory, but in effect they are. So the one is, you know, just too many pastors don't believe that the Bible is inspired and infallible and uh, the authoritative word of God. But the second thing is that many pastors don't teach prophecy because they haven't properly been taught it in themselves. They haven't studied it on their own or been taught it in seminaries and Bible colleges. I know people who've gone through seminary. I mean, most people who've gone through seminary, they take a New Testament survey class. And so Revelation is in it. But yeah, you're studying 27 books of the Bible that semester. Yeah. You don't, you're not spending a lot of time on on uh, Revelation, let's say, when you don't have time to slow down. And Revelation is a weighty and challenging book to study in the first place. No matter what, yeah. You're studying so many books of the Old Testament and you're not having time to slow down in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or in the minor prophets, Daniel, you're summarizing quickly. Maybe you're having a semester class on eschatology, but almost certainly not. You may have a couple weeks on eschatology in a doctrine class. So that's an issue. So if you haven't been taught the principles of how to study it, Mm -hmm. much less the principles of how to teach it, then you're going to be hesitant to spend time on it because you're thinking, I'm not qualified. And some of this material is challenging. So that's two. I would just inject at that point, you know, that's one of the main focal points for the Joshua Fund and for your ministry is to to educate pastors, but everyone on this sort of perspective. And I think that's important to remember. I agree. And I I think it has, has been part of our focus from the beginning. The Joshua Fund has several elements to our ministry. We do humanitarian relief Mm -hmm. unconditionally to bless uh, Jewish people in Israel, Palestinians and others. You know, we strengthen and encourage churches and pastors and ministries in obviously in Israel and the Arab world. But we also are about educating the church. That's the central reason for the podcast. 
as well as epicenter conferences and uh, things that we've done. It's been challenging in the COVID era. We haven't been planning any epicenter conferences. So we, I hope we can get back to that. But inside the epicenter was designed to, all right, let's not wait. And even if you can bring 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 people once we had an epicenter conference, still, we're reaching many more people through a podcast. Yeah. But I think there's more that Joshua Fund can yes. and even should be doing, particularly in this area, to create resources. But the third thing, the third reason that most pastors are not talking about this is because of this fear of sensationalizing because they don't want to be a prophecy nut and they don't want to be associated with that. Then we talked about that earlier. I will just say one other point on that. You know, there are people that are preaching false gospels, hmm. uh, preaching the prosperity gospel, for example. You know, if you follow Jesus, you'll get a Rolex. If you give me a bunch of money to my ministry, you know, you'll be blessed with a Learjet or what, you know, not nutty, weird stuff. Mm-hmm. But the church doesn't, you know, most evangelical pastors and ministry leaders don't avoid preaching the gospel because other people teach false gospels. They're false teachers. In fact, I would say they're even more focused and have an urgency to make it really clear to people, who is Jesus? How do you follow him? Why should we follow him? What's the benefit of following him? And what's the the risk of not following him. That's the gospel message. And pastors look at false teachers and they say, oh, I have to preach the gospel more clearly in the power of the Holy Spirit because there are false teachers out there. But that's not how they tend to react to eschatology. If they, oh, there's false teachers, therefore I won't get into it. That's not the right response. It's not the biblical response. The last thing, the last of the four, I would say that many pastors don't teach Bible prophecy because they lack an understanding of the times in which we live, hmm. that we are living in times that are, in fact, increasingly corresponding with Bible prophecy that indicate we're getting closer to the return of Christ, which means if you haven't really studied what prophecy says to be watching for in the last days— and then you're not paying attention to what actually is happening in our time. Mm-hmm. You may not be noticing that these two yeah. things are, are converging. Yeah. And that's where, just to wrap that part up, I would say that's where Israel is the most interesting apologetic that I can possibly think of about A, that God exists, mm-hmm. that B, the Bible is true, and that C, we better study Bible prophecy because the fact that Israel has been reborn as a country in our lifetime, that Jews are coming back to the land to resettle in our lifetime, yeah. that Jews are rebuilding the ancient ruins in our lifetime, that Israel and the Arabs are starting to make peace in our lifetime, all of that, these are fulfillments of end times Bible prophecies. So you, if people say, wow, yeah, Joel, you seem like a nice young man, Joel, you know, or you're getting a little older now, <laughs> a little grayer. You can't possibly believe that the Bible is the word of God and that these prophecies are actually true. I'm like, yeah, I do believe that. And I'll give you one reason why. Israel. Israel. Mm-hmm. I live in Israel. Israel was reborn as a country. The Bible is the only book on the planet in history that said it would be reborn as a country. It has been. And since that, those things are true, what else does the Bible say is coming in the future? Not just Israel, but other key elements that we ought to be aware of. And that, to me, is one of the great things that are both exciting and also sad yeah. that so many pastors 
see Israel as a political issue. Yeah. They are not even talking about or teaching about the importance of Israel because they think, well, that's a political issue. If I'm pro-Trump, maybe I'll mention it. But if I'm disappointed with Trump or whatever, or I'm pro-Biden or whatever, I'm not talking about Israel. Like That is the biggest mistake. Israel has become politicized, yeah. but it is – and evidence of God keeping his word, of fulfilling end times Bible prophecies in our lifetime. Yeah. That is big. Yeah. That deserves attention. Yeah. That deserves us asking and then teaching and discussing with people why. Mm. What does God's word say? Why is it coming true in our lifetime? And what does that mean for our lives? Sure. This is so important. That's so helpful to understand maybe some of the obstacles and reasons, you know, everything from the the lack of understanding and, and experience to the politicization of, of the subject. Sometimes those are huge obstacles and they continue to prevent people from, especially pastors, from preaching and teaching and for the people who are in churches, evangelicals, from understanding the benefits. But Joel, maybe you could talk a little bit about what are some of the benefits from good, sound teaching on biblical prophecy? Is a sound eschatology really uh, like a source of hope, expectation for people? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, there's several ways to think about that. The first thing is there are about, I think there's about seven or eight times more Bible prophecies about the second coming of Jesus mm. than about the first time. Okay, And we there were about 300 prophecies that describe every facet of who Jesus is going to be. Sure. Some of those are about what he's going to do in the end times. But most of those were about, you know, he's going to be born in Bethlehem and born of her virgin and, you know, die a suffering death and rise again. And mm -hmm. so if there are eight times more prophecies about his return than his first coming, then we can take those prophecies to the bank, yeah. right? We know he's coming back and the return of Christ is our great hope. Yeah. That the Bible teaches that when Christ comes back, he's going to establish his kingdom on earth and there will no longer be political elections. <laughs> he will be the king of the whole world. There won't be political ads. There won't be political fundraising. There won't be campaigns. No one's going to be running against Jesus. And <laughs> Jesus will not be saying four more years, four <laughs> more years. No, no. Nope. <laughs> you know, he, he's coming to reign. Now, he'll reign for a thousand years, the Bible says. We see that six times mentioned, that thousand-year period. It's mentioned in the book of Revelation. Some people say, well, that's not true. That's not literal. It doesn't mean literally a thousand years. Oh, I disagree. And we could talk about that probably in a different podcast. But because this is a big distinguisher between evangelicals, those who believe that a thousand years is literal, and then what happens in that those thousand years and those who say, no, that's just sort of means a long time. OK, mm -hmm. th that's an important discussion. But the point is here, the New Testament says that Jesus is going to come and he's going to not only reign on the earth as the king, as the only king. Mm -hmm. He's going to reign from Jerusalem. He's going to reign from Israel and he's going to bring peace and he's going to wipe away every tear. And he's going to set up the end of the end, meaning the, the thousand year period is going to be wonderful. Not quite perfect, but wonderful. And then comes the next period, the final period, where there's a new heaven and a new earth. And literally, there's no more sickness and there's no more death and there's no more yeah, sadness and yeah. injustice. That's a wonderful thing to look forward to. But we have to understand that Jesus taught, the apostles taught, the Old Testament prophets taught that prior to the Messiah setting up this 
kingdom and bringing the end of the end, there's going to be lots of trauma mm-hmm. on the earth, geopolitical trauma, economic trauma, wars, terror, climate disasters, all kinds. It's very interesting to study what the Bible says to be watching for. And I argue and have argued and will continue to argue that we are seeing many of these prophecies about the trials and troubles of Jesus and the prophets foretold would be sort of the precursors to his return. Mm -hmm. We're seeing those things play out. The rebirth of Israel is one of those signs that when you see that and you see other things happening, know that Jesus is near, that his hand is right on the door. That's a verse right out of the Bible. Yeah. But if you're not aware of the ancient prophecies and then you're not watching what's happening today, then you're not connecting the dots. Yeah. You know, the 9-11 Commission report, their central premise after I don't know, 800 pages of material basically was like the U.S. intelligence and political establishment wasn't looking at what bin Laden said would happen and then looking at what was happening. And the U.S. government wasn't connecting the dots. And so they got blindsided. Now, I'm not making a direct analogy, but I'm saying God has told us in his word what's going to happen that precedes this big moment. This big moment of the return of Christ is wonderful for the believers, not wonderful for those who've rejected Christ or ignored him. And so if you don't know what the Bible says to watch for, and then you're not paying attention to what's happening right now, you're not connecting the dots. And the risk is you can be blindsided by something that was knowable, but you didn't know it, or you knew it and you rejected it and you said, that's ridiculous. And I think that that's uh, important because just last point quick is part of the concept of Bible prophecy, one is to foretell and one is to forth tell, Mm -hmm. meaning to forth tell who God is and what his character is and how to know him. That's forth telling, meaning what does God want us to know about him? That's Mm -hmm. what we're supposed to be teaching people. Who is God and how do we know him? And what's the consequences of knowing him? And what's the consequences of not knowing him? That's forth telling what God has said in his word. But then there's foretelling advanced knowledge of what's coming. And God himself wants us to know in advance some things. He doesn't tell us about every country and every event in every part of the world. But there are some very specific things he wants us to know. And if we don't know them and nobody's teaching us, we are in danger of being blindsided. 100%. You know, I live out here in, in the West and love to go hiking. You know, you've you know been uh, uh, all over the place. It's like this. We are on the trail. We're on a journey. Let's just say it's in, in the Rocky Mountains and we are on that trail. Imagine not having a map that can tell us that up ahead is a cliff or up ahead is is a, a really steep part of the trail. I'm convinced that the American church and, and many evangelicals worldwide as well are unprepared. We're on the trail. We're moving down that trail. And yet without a map, without really understanding where we're headed, because we've not been taught Bible prophecy and actually having that map. Imagine, again, you're the only one in the group that has the map. Boy, you can really save a lot of people's lives. You can create, prevent a lot of hardship in people. You can give a lot of encouragement and hope. How would you even know how close you are to your goal? All of that paints the picture for me that Bible yeah. prophecy is so vitally important 
to the church. Well, that's a good today. analogy. I would even give an analogy maybe for our younger viewers and listeners. Take your favorite uh, video game. And uh, let's say it's a war game of some sort, Halo or, I don't know, Metal Honor. I'm not sure what's the latest because I'm not quite as young as I used to be, but uh, what my boys play. So think about, like, you're a soldier and you're moving down an alley and and you think, what if I had a way to just click on something and tell me what's going to be around the corner? Yeah, right. Why wouldn't I do that? Right. Because if I go around the corner and there's a sniper waiting for me, I might be picked off. Now, in the game, you get to respawn. In real life... You do not. That's right. The only way to respond is to know Jesus and be resurrected. <laughs> but if you don't know Jesus, that's it. Game yeah. over. Game over. Yeah. And this is why Bible prophecy is important. God is yeah. saying, listen, I love you. I want you to know me. I want to forgive you. I want to adopt you into my family. Yeah. And I want to show you the dangers of life ahead and show you how to navigate through those, some to avoid or some to endure. Okay, we're not going to be able to avoid all hardship as a follower of Jesus. But God loves us so much that his word is also telling us, listen, if you do not pay attention, if you don't hear my voice, if you don't read my word, if you don't obey it, you're going to get picked off. And then that's game over. That's it. There's no second chance. There's only a second chance in eternity if you're a follower of Jesus. That's the great news that's the good yeah. news of the gospel is death as a human being is not the end amen that amen. you have the ability to spend all of eternity as a living breathing person who is enjoying the blessings of god and the blessings of all the other believers the fellowship of people that you know that you wow. get to see again and spend eternity yeah. with and people you didn't know but you thought i'd like to know that person uh, but <laughs> if you don't even pay attention to the word of god mm. and or you read it or listen to it and then you reject it, game over. You burn in hell for eternity. That's not me saying that. That's Jesus saying it. That's the Old Testament prophet saying it. That's the apostle saying it. That, if that's true, game over. over. And I just, I'm astonished by how many people live their life without the realization, without taking seriously. If you die without Christ, it's game over. And it would be wouldn't be so bad if you're just like a candle being snuffed out. That's yeah. not what the that's Bible not what says. The Bible teaches, right? And that's not what Jewish or Muslim eschatology teaches either. Yeah. But biblical Christian eschatology says you will burn in hell forever. And there's not like yeah. okay, after a hundred years, there's a get out of jail free card. Yeah. After a thousand years, after a million years, yeah. no, it is game over and suffering forever and ever and ever. Those stakes are so high. Yeah that this is why the church needs to teach the whole counsel of God from Genesis through Revelation, because it's all important. And I'll wrap up this. It's out of God's love that he warns us. He's not trying to curse us. He's saying this is reality and you have a way out. I'm offering you a way to respond and to be (laughs) in heaven and enjoy and in safety forever. Yeah. But only if you follow this particular path. Yeah. Joel, this is such powerful teaching. And I, and I, I want to just remind everyone that this is not radical. You may not have heard a lot of this recently in your church, but this is the good news message that there is hope and that there is a way out of this dilemma that's found in the pages of the scripture. 
And uh, when the Bible teaches on this, it's not meant for us to be overwhelmed by the reality, but to be empowered and emboldened to live in purpose and in hope. But Joel, last question for you on this subject, and it's really where we go from here. What can we do? What are some things that we can do to rediscover the purpose and the power of Bible prophecy, just as you've talked about a little bit? Yeah. Well, uh, where do we begin? That, that, that might have to be a whole other podcast because I think there's the Joshua Fund mission, your mission, mine, which is to try to create tools like this podcast so that anyone anywhere can think, okay, I'm not getting that in my church, but at least I can get it through this podcast. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a blessing of the technology we have today. And we will be doing more emphasis on eschatology going forward, teaching through specific prophecies and just breaking down country by country, prophecy by prophecy. What does the Bible teach about the future of Syria? What does the Bible teach about the future of America? What does the Bible teach about the future of Europe and Iran and and Russia and so forth? So I think that those are resources that we will continue to build and provide. And of course, we've done past epicenter conferences in which our communications team is wonderfully, you know, finding ways to, you know, splice and sort of send out into the YouTube universe. And that's another way. But I guess I would say from an individual perspective, there are some wonderful books that are good places to start. There are great messages that you can download and we can make some of those available. I I won't mention them all right this moment, but we'll make some of those uh, resources available that I trust, that you trust, that we find useful because there is a lot of nutty stuff out there, but there's a lot of really excellent material too. I'll I'll give you one example would be a book I wrote a number of years ago uh, called Epicenter, right? This is where the the term came from, meaning I I coined the term, well, I didn't coin the term Epicenter, but I adapted it and said, yeah, this Mm -hmm. is a geological term, but let's apply it to Israel and Jerusalem. This is the epicenter of God's plan and purpose for mankind. And in that book, I offered, for example, 10 headlines that you will read in the future. We're going to do a whole podcast on that sometime. (laughs) Yeah. And people are like, wait, you know, Joel, don't be ridiculous. You can't. I said, no, each chapter will be based on specific prophecies. And we'll look at what are those prophecies? Why do I say that these are headlines you will read one day? I'm not just making it up out of thin air. If I did that, Mm -hmm. I'd be a fiction writer, which I am a fiction writer. But this is a nonfiction book. And it just walks through prophecies that most people had not paid attention to or had been sort of dusty on the shelf. And we kind of went, let's just sort of dust that off. That's a resource. And uh, again, we'll we'll link some others too. But I I do think that you and I, Carl, in the Josh one, we've got to be more creative at creating things. I don't want to be a person that is angry or railing against the church for not Mm -hmm. doing something. True, It does bother me. And I appeal to any pastor or ministry leader, seminary professor, Bible college professor, or executive in those fields, please do not ignore 27% of the Bible. You're going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, why did you just ignore such a major part of my word? Like it's a mistake and and we're going to be held to account. So I want to appeal, but I also want to offer tools for these pastors and ministry leaders. And uh, there's a wonderful Bible study book, by the way, a Bible study guide that goes with Epicenter that's available online. And also these are on audio books. But again, we'll provide some other links like to uh, Mark Hitchcock's book of the end and maybe some others that are beginning um, ways to, to move forward. Bottom line, bottom line, 
I didn't go to a seminary to get a degree in anything, much less eschatology. <laughs> there are lots of wonderful materials. Yes. It takes a lot of time to go through. We also have a document, which maybe, well, maybe we should sort of clean up and make available. It's what I've used as notes in a lot of conferences yeah. I've, I've taught at, which is rediscovering the purpose and the power of Bible prophecy. And there it goes through a lot of the things we've discussed, but it goes into much more detail with lots more scriptural references. You know, we're this is the short version. This might be a, a resource that we can make available in the... I think that's a great resource to make available to our listeners. And and Joel, I, I know our time is up, but I am I'm just wanted to say, uh, just personally, thank you. Thank you for having such a clear and open-eyed and level-headed view on this incredibly important topic and to bring it back to us from, from the very nature of our belief that we at the core of us evangelical believers is a belief that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he brings restoration and healing, yes, and righteousness, but he also brings judgment. And for us to understand Bible prophecy is to give ourselves and others a tool to understand what is to come in these times. So, Joel, thank you so much. I appreciate every word out of your mouth today was golden. I don't know, uh, but I'd like to say to our listeners, if you found this podcast to be valuable, as I have, please get in touch with us. Uh, let us know who you are. What do you want us to talk about on the show? This is an opportunity for us to, to bring uh, teaching and biblical insight from the epicenter into your life. Do you have a question you want Joel to answer? Go to joshuafund.com and click on Contact Us. Feedback from you is incredibly important and valuable as we continue to develop this podcast and other aspects of the Joshua Fund ministry. And as always, as Joel and I have mentioned, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on or, or links to some of the things that we've discussed. So for Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to Inside the Epicenter. A crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Katherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.